Hey guys, you're listening to Totally Stoked Podcast with Amelia Travis, yoga teacher and wild child turned multi-six-figure business coach, writer, speaker, and spiritual warrior. Totally Stoked is an experiment in radical honesty. On this show, there's only two rules, show up and tell the truth. Each week, we share uncensored, truth-telling, shame-busting conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, visionaries, and modern-day mystics revealing their rise to thrive stories, current challenges, and sharing their most powerful tools for awakening, growth, and well-being. This is your place to let down your guard, open your heart, and remember that being human is a crazy, wild ride, but you don't have to do it alone. So buckle up, baby, because we're heading full speed ahead to radical self-love and a totally stoked life. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back, you guys, to another episode of Totally Stoked Podcast. My heart is so uplifted to share the guest that I have today. This woman is one of the bravest people I know. I personally believe that she incarnated in this life to teach people how to become their own healer. But in order to do that, she had to walk through the fire herself. This woman is an advocate for deep healing. She's passionate about holding space and guiding women on their own journey of healing unresolved trauma and building unshakable confidence. Her own life was flipped upside down after a young child drowned while in her care. And this set her on a quest for self-healing. It was through this journey of yoga teacher trainings, breathwork, Reiki, and the study of somatics that she discovered her own purpose of alchemizing these tools to be able to offer them to others. She now hosts women's spiritual retreats, specialized workshops, and one-to-one coaching as an outlet to bring healing to those already. She knows how it feels to be in the pit of grief, of guilt, of shame, to heal herself, and to come out the other side as a wounded healer and a guiding light for other people. It is with a deep sense of, of reverence and gratitude that I welcome this guest to the show, Ladies and gentlemen, say hello to Amanda Joy. Amanda, welcome, sister. (laughs) Thank you. You already have me like in tears just hearing you speak. (laughs) I got the goosebumps on me as I was saying that. And I, you know, I think it's really important to acknowledge, like, I do believe that there is this archetype of the wounded healer and that many of us have the privilege in this life of being put through some really, really, really gnarly shit. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, And that's because it's only through that, that we can develop the level of compassion that's necessary to actually serve other people from this place of deep humility, right? Of knowing like, yo, I'm not better than you. Doesn't really matter what you're doing, whether you're putting a needle in your arm or you're prostituting or you're, you, you, you know, like you're in prison for a crime that maybe other people think is really heinous. Like nobody knows your soul except you, you know what I mean? Um, And I feel like you have this beautiful gift of being able to sit with people in their shadow, in their darkness and just hold the space. Like I've seen you do it. And I know that it's like, um, you know, I didn't know you before this happened, but I'm guessing that you being able to sit in that sort of deep listening now is because of the experiences that you've gone through over the past decade? How long has this been? Nine years now. Yeah. Okay. So almost a decade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, 
So let's start with the before. So before this experience of having a child drown in your care, how were you different? What was life like? You know, it's interesting to go back because for a long time I avoided that person because I missed her so dearly. Mm. And so it was too painful to revisit the person I was and then see where I had chosen to, to linger for so long. Um, I was at a really awesome place in my life. My husband and I had made the decision for him to come home. We purchased a business. We'd like, we weren't even fearful people. We were just like, we trusted the divine. We were in alignment with the law of attraction. I was an avid follower of Dr. Wayne Dyer. Mm. At the time I was involved in multi-level marketing and I just loved to hold space for women and to help guide them into a space of, of confidence and understanding that, you know, these housewives and these women that had lost their identity, I was there kind of just as a, as a guiding light to help bring them back into their purpose. And, and everything was in alignment. You know, my kids were healthy. I had a nine-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son. We had purchased our dream home on seven acres in the country. It was quiet. It was peaceful. Um, yeah, it just, life was amazing. Really, truly, it was everything we had dreamed of and more. I think it's so interesting to hear you say that because you said one thing that really caught my attention was that you loved to hold space for these women who felt like they had lost their identity. <laughs> and it was exactly that identity that was flipped upside down or that I think you feel like you lost through this experience, right? Yeah. So yeah. you're living in this dream home in the country, a mom of two young kids, stay-at-home mom and doing network marketing was your yeah. yeah, Yeah. And then my husband and I owned a business. So I was, you know, his office admin support. Yeah. And then um, to be very clear, like when this happened, I mean, I want to say kids will be kids. Like kids will play, right? And you lived out in the country, you live on a big plot of land and there was some water on the land. And yeah. Your kids were, like you said, six and nine. And I mean, look, first of all, if anybody's listening and you're going to pass judgment, you're going to do whatever you're going to do. But I want you to really imagine that this is you, right? And I'll, especially to all the moms listening, you got a six-year-old, you got a nine-year-old. I have a three-year-old. And let me tell you, there are many moments of the day that I am not watching his ass. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. People are like, you're a horrible parent. He's free. <laughs> I can't literally, A, can't keep up with him. Like he is very fast. And B, like, think, you know, thankfully, like he is a really smart, strong little guy. And like, I think that as we cultivate independence and resilience in our children, it's unnecessary to be the level of helicopter parent where you're literally watching them all the time. And I especially think by the time they get to ages six and nine, like, if they're going to go play in the backyard, they're going to go play in the backyard, you know, or in this case on a, a big piece of land, right? You had a pretty big property. Yeah. Are you willing to take us through what happened without going into, you know, the depths of, of your, I mean, go as deep as you want to go, but tell us what happened that yeah. day. Sure. So, um, it was a beautiful fall afternoon and it was a day off of school for my kids. And so, my son had asked for the neighbor boy to come over on a play date. And, you know, there's, there was a bit of a resistance. I, I always felt more comfortable having my own children in my care. And, and honestly, I don't know if this is something subconsciously, but regardless, um, his, his friend came over and they were playing 
in the yard, we had a little quad that my son rode and they had been taking turns. One was driving, one was jumping on the trampoline. I was in and out of the house. And then at one point my son came through the front door and he said to me, mom, can we have a snack? You know, like every little six-year-old kid. And I said, sure, sure, son. But I said, go and get your friend, go and get him and bring him in the house with you. And it was in that moment that I paused and I couldn't hear the quad. Mm. And it was almost like this deep knowing that something was wrong. And I went out the front door and I paused and I listened and I still couldn't hear it. And immediately my mind went to the highway. We lived near a very busy highway and had unfortunately lost several pets on this highway. And so the kids knew to stay away from it, that it was a danger point. And I ran to the end of the driveway, scanning and, and desperately seeking and yelling his name and, and nothing. And at this point, my nine-year-old daughter had came out of the house to see what was happening. And you know, it, it's amazing how your mind can just flip through every scenario. And you know, it went from like frustration and anger and, and worry and fear. And it was just like, where is he? You know, I thought, is he hiding on me? Is, had he hit a tree in the backyard and hurt himself? And I just in that split second said to my daughter, the lagoon, mm. it just, it just dawned on me and she immediately turned and started running and I ran right behind her. She got there moments before me and, and screamed. So when this happened, like, as I listen, like I'm, I'm going to cry <laughs> and I'm lit up with chills because there's nothing you could have done, you know? And I know you spent years and years afterwards mm -hmm. cycling through all the things that could have been done differently right and and undoubtedly it changed the way you parent you know yeah. what i mean it changed the way it, and 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 i want to say first that i don't think with situations like this that that binary labels are really helpful right so what i mean by that is like i don't think saying like uh you know, you change some things in the way that you parent to make it better or safer. I don't think that's the case. Like, I think sometimes something horrible can happen and then we swing in the direction of being overly protective and paranoid and fearful. And like, you just realize that like death is waiting around every single corner. Mm -hmm. And like, that's true. I try to live my life that way, not in a fearful way, but in just acknowledgement that like, you know, nothing is promised. Like, and we just, we, we don't know, right. We want to blame ourselves, but like, you could be walking down the street, get hit by a bus. There could be, I mean, people die in freak accidents of like a lightning strike or whatever. Right. And, yeah. and in those situations, survivor guilt is still a real thing. And the people will say, I shouldn't have let my husband walk to work that day, or I shouldn't have let, mm -hmm. you know, my kid, um, you know, go outside during a thunderstorm or I shouldn't have let them take the canoe or whatever it is. You know what right. I mean? Mm -hmm. And this is the thing about survivor's guilt is that it is one of the forms of misguided guilt that can become very toxic to us. And what I mean by that is it becomes a global analysis of who we are rather than this you know, ability to observe a, a thing that happened, an experience that happened. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, he died and this sent you into a deep 
depression, which is to be expected. And also navigating the court system for a few years after as you dealt with the legal ramifications of a child drowning in your care and, and walking that surely very, very difficult path. Mm-hmm. When you were in that period of your life, you know, how, how long was that period? And what was the, what would you say was kind of the, the depth of the agony? Like what was the, what were the hardest parts about being in that period? Right. So it it truly fascinates me how we can go into immediate survival mode. Mm -hmm. You know, like there, there's no way that a person can comprehend these things. Like you mentioned, you know, life, it, it just, in one moment it's here and then it's gone. And, and we know that, but until you live that reality, it's just kind of there. And so I, I went into mom mode, you know, and I, of course I went to see doctors. I wasn't sleeping and, and the anxiety and, and overwhelm was too intense. But at the same time, they prescribed Ativan and sleeping pills because that's what they do. And sometimes that's necessary. But for me, I couldn't. I, I took them once and I was so disconnected from myself that I wasn't able to be there for my children and they were my priority. Mm-hmm. And so I just started going through the motions. Um, one of the first responders or the um, victim services women that, that came to the house immediately after, I said, what do I do? This actually happened on the Canadian Thanksgiving weekend. And I said, what do I do now? Like we, we have family functions and, and you want life to stop. You want to literally crawl in a hole and just stop. And she said to me, she had lost a child of her own at some point in her life. And she said, Amanda, you have to keep going. And that was a pivotal moment because I made the commitment then and there to continue as best as I could. And so we continued life, you know, the kids went back to school, we put them back into their sports, we were in a, we are still to this day in a very small community. And so I put on a front immediately. Because you can imagine the dynamics between the family and myself, and they needed their space. And so I believed through the the survivor's guilt, and my own shame, that I wasn't worthy of grieving. Mm that I didn't have the right to be sad. He was not my child. I still had my children. Mm-hmm. It's not fair. You know, so there's all these layers that you just, I just started to suppress. I just tucked them away and tucked them away. And it was probably about six months later that what I call was, you know, a rock bottom point for me. My husband and I had went away. And when we were on our way home, I could feel the heaviness start to come back down the reality that I had to return home. Mm-hmm. And it was in that moment that I knew I, I needed help beyond what I was already doing. And bless her heart. I had this beautiful friend in my life and she said, you need yoga. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, I wasn't practicing yoga at that time. In fact, I was, you know, a kickboxer and a cardio, like I loved running and I was high intensity. Mm-hmm. And so we, we did, we started yoga. And from that first practice on my mat, when I was given the, the safe place to feel and just slightly, there's no way I could have went all the way in, but just the surface feelings that I was holding on to, I started to release and I felt this movement and I knew that's the space I needed to be in. There was, I mean, it's, it's hard to, to pick out the moments because 
honestly, I knew it was an accident. Mm -hmm. I knew that in my heart mm -hmm. and I held myself in that space. And I was warned by several people that there would be charges pending or that there was still an investigation happening. And it took almost one full year for the charges to be laid. Mm -hmm. And so that allowed me time to, to really settle into a belief that, that it was going to be okay. You know, I, I would somehow move through this grief, but that it would be okay. And so when the phone call came that there was actually going to be charges moving forward, of course, that was another spiral to revisit. Did they arrest you? Did you have to go to jail or was it like, this is, you know, we're just, you're going to have to go to court. Right. So bless her heart, the woman RCMP officer that was in um, I don't know what the proper word is, but in charge of the um, incident, phoned me and, and told me over the phone, she said, I'm not coming to your house. I'm not handcuffing you and I'm not bringing you into the station. However, you need to come in on your own will and I will serve you the paperwork and I have to fingerprint you and photograph you. And yeah. And, and you can never be prepared for that call because it's like, I'm not a criminal. Yeah. Thank you for her though, for being so sensitive to the fact that this was a massive trauma for everyone. Like I'm literally sitting here through this whole conversation, like just willing myself not to cry. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. I can cry, but like, <laughs> it's so interesting because the grief is in the collective. You know what I mean? Like we're not, we're not disconnected from each other. And, and when you said you couldn't, you didn't feel like you deserved to have the grief. The thing is that, yes, the potency of the grief for the parents of that child is unimaginable, right? Mm -hmm. But, but we all feel it. Like it's not, um, it's, I think in the energetic reality, like it's not something local. It's a non-local grief. Like it's, we all lose like when yeah. this happens. And I think, you know, I think for your grief and for the officers involved and for the other people in your community, um, like everybody feels it and it's this blanket, it's this fog. It is, like you said, it's this heaviness that was so present in your life and most likely in your home and, and even in your greater community. And, and so you, what is small town? What does that mean to you? Like how many people, what's the population where you live? Less than 7,000 people. So really small. I mean, that very is a small. very small town. So yeah. you, you know, people and people know you and know your family. And mm -hmm. you said you bought this property and it was your dream home. And it's like, let's be real. Like, I mean, there was probably a point that you wanted to sell everything and get the heck out of there, but that wasn't maybe like literally financially possible considering you now have this mortgage and now undoubtedly legal fees and everything yeah. else. So in a sense you were, did you feel trapped? Um, you know, the interesting part with that, lots of people have asked me about why we've stayed because I mean, it's my hometown now. I've been here 20 plus years, but previously it, it was not technically my hometown. Um, but I never wanted to turn tail and run. I knew I had enough of a spiritual foundation that I knew that wherever I went, it was coming with me. Mm hmm and I, my children had their foundation here, their friends were here, our families were close, and we had a really, really solid support group, like phenomenal. And they protected me. I know, I know because I had experiences that there were people that were laying heavy blame upon me. 
but for the most part, I was never exposed to it. And if there was any talk happening, the filters prevented me from hearing anything that, that wasn't worthy of me hearing. Right. Mm -hmm. That's so, so good. Cause that stuff can really embed itself in your, in your subconscious and create those patterns that are, you know, that we're undoubtedly already trying to, mm -hmm. to form. So you found yoga and what about like within your family, how did you help your, your kids through this period? What were some of the tools that you were able to support them with? Cause it had to have been really hard for them too. Yeah. It's incredible to watch the world through children's eyes. So my six-year-old son, bless his heart, six-year-old is a tender age, but they're very resilient. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that he didn't experience a loss, but he was accepting mm -hmm. and, and he spoke openly and freely and uncensored about it. And almost to the point where it would send me into a tailspin because it was just like, this is the way it is, you know? Mm -hmm. um, my nine-year-old, however, it impacted her life dearly. Because at nine, um, what was explained to me through the psychologist was that, or psychiatrist, was that they are now understanding that uh, the fragility of life. So they start to question life and death and everyone around them. Is everyone else going to die? You know, and so for her, it was really delicate. And she was old enough to see the changes in me. And, you know, I know now like the reflection, right? So she watched me shrink back. Mm -hmm. She watched me stop having fun, stop laughing, stop meeting new people, stop putting myself into a situation of being seen. And so therefore she pulled back. So, I mean, the best tools that I could give my kid, and I don't even remember where the advice originally came from, but we started gratitude journals. Mm -hmm. And I mean, at their young age, it was very simple, but it was actually the best blessing for all of us because at bedtime we sat down and we wrote down three things, anything that we were grateful for of the day, you know? And so my son at six would say my hockey stick, mm -hmm. you know, like the simple, or like a popsicle. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> Literally. That's and what I'm my like, son would do. We actually have done that. I'm like, what's one thing you're grateful for today? And he's like, monster trucks. And I'm like, yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and then we're like, yeah, right. That is something to really celebrate. Thank you. You know? And so, and through that, we were able to just bond because unfortunately I didn't have the energy that I used to for the kids. I used to be that mom that danced in the kitchen and, you know, was silly and, you know, loved baking with my kids and just spending time. And I had nothing, I had nothing. And I fell into unhealthy patterns of like watching the clock. And was it, you know, evening yet? Cause I just wanted to drink. I just wanted to drink enough so that I could sleep and not think about anything. Mm -hmm. And so that really robbed a lot for my children. Like looking back now, I'm I'm knowing and understanding I did the best I could with what I had, but there's also, you know, there's always that reflective regret of, I, I, sh I wish I could have, should have, whatever. Right. So how did that pattern of drinking as a coping mechanism unfold? And was there a point at which you were able to either replace that with a healthier coping mechanism or just it released its hold on you? Cause I don't think you're drinking as a coping mechanism now regardless of whether or not you still no. consume alcohol, it's not a way that you numb. So what happened with that journey with, with alcohol as a coping tool? You know, so it went in many cycles. 
unfor like unfortunately, fortunately, I don't know the proper term, but I live, we live in an area where it's a society thing, right? Like you get together with friends and that's what you do. You, Canadians you have drinks. Yep. Yeah, we do. And, I mean, and Americans we, drink too. People drink everywhere. Yeah. yeah but right? Canada, I do feel like it's a, especially beer, right? You guys uh, like beer? Yeah. 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 I'm still a beer girl. Yeah. But um, yeah. And so the best thing for me at the time was one of the energy workers that I'd been working with when it came to the point where I needed to actually go away. She said, Amanda, you need 21 days to reset this pattern and, and to just be on your own. Mm -hmm. And before that, I'd never even entertained the thought of leaving my children or my, you know, it wasn't really a possibility to be honest. My husband and I owned a business. He was busy and I was like, you know, what moms are, right? We are the root of the family. Mm -hmm. Also busy moms right. listening. You are also busy. Like, Very busy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like we, we can't just pick up and, and go away or we feel we can't. However, it was like a breaking point, you know, life doesn't stop. And I tell my clients this now when I work with them is that when you're going through a period in your life and of healing, shit still goes sideways. Mm -hmm. You know, we were, we were on a family vacation in Turks and Caicos, the most beautiful beach in the world. And a father was struck by a boat in front of our oceanfront property. Ugh. I sat with his eight-year-old son as, yeah, you know, and so these things just kept getting thrown at us. Our, my brother-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer. He passed away six months later. Like it just, there just was death upon death upon death. It, it felt like it was surrounding us. And so I went away. The only 21 day retreat I could find was a yoga teacher training. Mm -hmm. Where did and you go? I went to a little tiny village called Troncones in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And what was what drew, drew me to this in, um, training was the shamanic healing behind it. So I wasn't going to be a teacher. That was not my intention. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I was going to heal. Mm -hmm. And they had the practices there. You know, most you know most yoga teacher trainings offer that but this one was specifically designed around the shamanic practices as well as the teacher training and so that's that's where it started was literally I, I just went and again it was extremely scary mm -hmm. you know I didn't honestly have the support of my husband he was living in a space of fear and he, he's like why can't you just be okay why can't you just carry on and get over it literally you know like just this is our lives now and we just need to be strong. And that wasn't the case. I had nothing left to give to anybody. Mm -hmm. Well, and the, I think it's important to note, like, you know, not only are we conditioned into different ways of understanding strength and men are socially conditioned into suck it up, yeah. buck up, <laughs> charge through, right? And, yeah. and women aren't conditioned into that as much. Um, we have a strength that comes through surrender. And we see that in ch like childbirth, right? Because uh -huh. we go through something that's physically, you know, people can argue about whether or not it's painful and say it's orgasmic <laughs> and whatever. Like, good for you. If yeah, you had wow. an orgasmic birth, congratulations. <laughs> Call me. Let me know how the hell you did that. <laughs> I really, I read all the books. I did all the things with my son. <laughs> I'm going to have an orgasmic birth. It was not orgasmic. No <laughs> orgasms, right? It was painful. It was incredibly painful. Yeah. Um, and the only way through that pain was yielding. The only way through that pain was trusting that there was 
another, there was, there was another side to get to, right. Yeah. That I wouldn't be in it forever, mm-hmm. but, and I get chills all over me as I say this, because it's very true in many of the divine feminine teachings. Um, we are the moon, we are the shadow, we are the dark, right? We, and, and that's a beautiful thing. We have a, this fear of the dark, but in order to strengthen women, we have to descend we have to go into the underworld. Like it's in our dark night of the soul that we are forged, that we become strong, right? So, and I think that's something to have, you know, just sensitivity towards that maybe he genuinely couldn't understand because his framework for the world allowed him to just harden and get through it, right? But our framework, our entire way of being doesn't support that. So there is this necessity of unraveling. Like we have to come undone in order to be able to weave together a new version of self that is strong enough to withstand what whatever may come. Right. So when you went and did your yoga teacher training, were, were there any epiphanies or aha moments or was it like just kind of a space to be able to literally and figuratively breathe and have some some room? How did that change you? Um, oh man, it was unbelievable, truly. But I mean, there was still so much underlying, but it, it allowed me to just really be with me. And I went there with this idea that like, I was not sharing my story, that my story did not own me. And I was not going to allow people to come into either a space of judgment or pity or whatever they felt around Mm it. And the universe, the divine is like, of course, there's no mistakes. And I arrived at this retreat and literally the interwoven lives of the women that arrived there and the linkage of their stories to my story. I was two days in and, and, you know, spilling my story to everybody and allowing space for it just to be heard Mm. because through that, through the charges, I was told, do not speak to anybody Mm. at all. You do not talk about this again. That is a really fear-based place to live and it's also terrifying to now lock down your voice and say like, your, your words don't matter. Mm-hmm. So stifle it and be quiet. Yeah. And from a somatics perspective, I mean, that is a great way to take the trauma and like give it a home in your body. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> just shove it down. It'll find somewhere to live. It'll deposit itself in your low belly or in your back or in your neck or in your throat or wherever, but it'll find it. it And, you know, I think that's really interesting because, you know, you're a breathwork facilitator. And one of the things that happens in breathwork is that um, sometimes people will encounter a pain in their body, right? An actual Mm -hmm. somatic pain. They'll feel something uh, intense in a particular area. And I was working with a client yesterday. And as I was watching her breathe, she was turning her head side to side really a lot, right? Like yeah. it, there was something in her throat and I could see that there was something in her throat. And, and, you know, in some religious traditions or belief systems, we talk about demons, right? There's a demon yes. that lives in your body. Mm-hmm. Others might say an energetic entity and others still might say, um, you know, it's just, it's just a block or whatever. And then right. there's some who are skeptical to all of that and are like, ah, oh, whatever. <laughs> uh, right. Or, but it, but then there's this very real correlation, I would say, between um, suppressed emotion and physical manifestation of disease. Right? Absolutely. Like people 
And when you look at things like, um, you know, Chinese medicine or yogic philosophy and like what these meridians or what these nadis, like what are they connected to? There are all sorts of correlations, right? Like correlation between um, the lower digestive tract and perhaps somebody having colon cancer and then like unresolved um, fear, right? Like, so, so for you, as you started to dive more into yoga and breath work and somatics did you was there any point at which you started to find where things were living in your own body absolutely so during my first the 200 hour yoga teacher training in mexico we did a liver flush and i was very naive like i honestly was so disconnected from my body i didn't understand any of like how emotions are stored in your organs and you know what you just spoke about and so the night we did the liver flush, it was just to get rid of like gallstones, right? Like just to cleanse and clear the body. And so it was explained to us and and I had paid to have a private cabana in my Palapa. So I did what they told us to do, drank the um, oil of, well, the, yeah, the oil, vegetable oil or whatever it was. And then gross, you drank something gross. Horrible. And then you just go to bed and you lay on your right side and your body does its thing. And you probably get up in the middle of the night and you pass a few things. And that, you know, of course they're like, really be aware and mindful of what your body's passing. We want to discuss it tomorrow. Well, that night I went to bed and I thought that I was dying in Mexico and I was all alone and I didn't even have the strength to leave my own Palapa and get help from anybody. I was purging from both ends. I was sobbing, I, you know, sweating and shaking. And there was so much going on for me. And the next day, when it all eventually moved through, I spoke to my um, leader. And of course, in a, in a very, not very nice way, like I was really, really upset. With pissed. Yeah. yeah. And she was like, ecstatically excited. And she's like, Amanda, I didn't want to warn you about this ahead of time, because I didn't want you to choose not to do it. But she said, your liver holds fear and anger and all of these dense emotions. And you have a lot of them, obviously, with Mm -hmm. what you've been going through. And that is exactly what I wanted to hear from you today is you Mm -hmm. gave your body the opportunity to start to move this. And that was my first kind of awakening to like, holy shit, there's so much going on in my body mm-hmm. that I am so unaware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, I think I'm going to just spend this whole interview being lit up in chills from head to toe because <laughs> it's hitting me again. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, what if you've ever heard of the book, like The Body Keeps the Score, or mm-hmm. if you've read anything by uh, Louise Hay, like there's all different sorts of teachings out there. And I think it's important for everyone to, if you're curious about this, go out, read, learn, synthesize, and then really like put it into experimentation, if you will, in your own body. You know, when I had this recent healing experience in, in Joshua Tree, that was a, a entheogenic meditation, mushroom induced meditation, my body was responding in a way that I was, I, ha- I had no idea that I had, um, physically internalize this wound of sexual violence in my body in a way that like there was a huge amount of grief living inside me and mm. a physical like um kind of recoil response of like making myself small and as i access some of those stored emotions i went through 
uh, yeah, really dramatic shaking. I mean, like curling up into a ball, all of this stuff that wasn't like even, yeah, you know, um, and, and so everything you just shared, I'm really curious. Cause I'm like, I haven't really delved that deeply into, um, what might be, what might be, what gremlins I might have living in my body. I feel like I'm just kind of starting actually that path because I spent so many years saying nothing's wrong. You know what I mean? Nothing mm-hmm. happened and nothing's wrong and I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. So when you did your yoga teacher training and then later you started to study breath work, was there a point at which you, I mean, it sounds like that liver flush was one of the first acknowledgements, but was there a point at which you started to realize like, I can't keep pretending that everything's, that nothing happened and that everything's okay. Was there a point at which you're like, I have to find p- places to take the mask off because otherwise it's just going to compound. And then if so, what, how did you do that? Where did you go for that? Honestly, it took it separate from your normal life. Yeah. It really truly took me such a long time because when I came back from my first training, I was like, not going to be a teacher and immediately dove into teaching. Mm-hmm. And then that became my purpose, but it also almost became a mask mm-hmm. and a shield of protection because by helping others, I could avoid mine. Mm-hmm. And so fast forward a few years, I then went for 300 hour training in Peru and studied plant medicine. Mm-hmm. And so prior to leaving to Peru, about two months prior, I went for a colonoscopy colonoscopy because I'd been experiencing a lot of problems, but of course, ignoring my body, ignoring mm-hmm. my body. And I had as close of a scare with colon cancer that a person can get before it's cancer. Like the doctors, Mm -hmm. I then had to go on a six month continuous checkup to make sure. And again, I knew, I knew, I knew the body keeps the score and I knew all these things, but I still was choosing to just disconnect from it. And so when I went to Peru, I went in so naive, I was like, I am strong and I'm healed and I'm just ready. Like we went into ayahuasca and my roommate, bless her heart, she's with me and they're like, set your intentions so that mother Aya knows like where you're taking this tonight. And I'm like, just show me what I need to know. Like, man, bring it on. (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) Did it it get brought on? It got brought on. She was like, just bam. You want to talk about sitting with the demons? she took me right into the pit. Yeah. It was horrific. Absolutely horrific. And I won't, you know, spend the whole next hour talking about it, but literally what you described with your experience um, in the desert, like it started out in the depths in my womb was on fire and I had to curl up in a ball Mm-hmm. And just, I screamed for help and screamed. And I call this woman, my angel, because she came and held space for me for about eight hours while I sobbed and purged and shook. And I could not unfold myself from that constriction. It was mm-hmm. so intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, having had two children, I explain it as, as more severe than childbirth. I really, really had not been honoring my body. So for everyone who thinks ayahuasca sounds like the next fun party, <laughs> you might want to reconsider. Um, <laughs> But but in all seriousness, it's a very uh, powerful uh, teacher and not something to be entered into without a a purpose and without reverence and without um, being being ready to to essentially die and be born again, you know, or to experience that that 
potentially that not everybody experiences that. Right. And, but like, that was what you asked for. You asked to be shown what you needed. And so when you came to the other side of that experience, what did you feel like was your understanding or your takeaway of whatever it was that you had needed to learn? What you said, you, you know, you wanted her to show you something. So what did you understand from it? So I mean, she was showing me the avoidance of the pain that I was holding on to, but not willing to dive into, to own as my own. And as you spoke about the collective and the oneness, I experienced the death of the child as my own child, because we are all one. We are all one. And, and so I needed to be put in that space of allowing every single painful, whatever you want to call ugly emotion to surface and be moved through, not just like, oh, hi, I see you. I'm going to let it go in the Mm -hmm. the yoga terms, but actually process and feel it and sit with it. Mm -hmm. But the beauty of that was really the, the reality of we must feel to heal. And, and once the intensity of the feeling was allowed to move through, the phoenix came and he danced and he danced and he danced and the lights came and I just, I went outside and I was in nature and I literally was the stars and the trees and the grass. And it was just an epiphany of, because I had not been sitting in the dark, I was unable to see the light. Mm. And I was just living in a space of neutrality. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so to, to expand on that truth that we are all connected to each other, I know that there are people listening who have found themselves in your story, um, even though their story is different, right. their, their experience is, is reflected in what you've shared. And so we've talked about some of the things that helped you uh, that were gurus for you, right? Or that were these re- that were these removers of darkness, or the the teacher that moves us from darkness to light, which is what that word means. So yoga teacher training, breath work, uh, Reiki, somatics. These are all the tools that you now have in your toolkit that you help other people with. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, you know, and so obviously, you know, if you're listening and you're you're maybe you're already doing all those things. Maybe you're listening and you're already doing all those things. Is there anything that you can offer people listening, um, whether it's words of wisdom or a tangible practice or like an anchor point that you feel like has been most transformative for you or something that you can hold on to when you feel yourself spinning out into, um, into either that, that numbness or that pain, like anything you can offer people that we haven't already talked about. Yeah. I think honestly, for me now, it's about staying wholly connected to myself. And so finding for me, nature is key. I need to be outside in the outdoors and just like no distractions, no cell phone, no people, no nothing just to be present um, I, I utilize breath work every day and it's not like a full ceremony of breath, but just an enough to bring me back into my body. How many minutes is that just for you? For me, it's about 10 minutes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then I allow myself to go into meditation mm-hmm. and, and to be with that because I am a deep feeler. I'm a very intense person. And rather than choose to hide from that, 
I've learned to embrace it, but I've had to create space in my life to honor it in order for it to be moved in a healthy way. Because I always tell my clients as much as I am in, intense with like crying, if those tears are not expressed in a safe container, they come out as anger. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important for me to really honor every, every layer. And the work that I do is heavy. It's hard. Women come to me with big stories. Mm -hmm. And so I have to find an outlet for myself. And, and that's my outlet, honestly, is, you know, some days I dance. I've really gotten into, and I never used to be a dancer. And I'm not like a dancer, like, ooh, look at her. She's so beautiful. <laughs> but what I've learned is to embody it, right? So what does my body want to do? Mm -hmm. It wants to move and it wants to move in a fluid, organic, natural way mm -hmm. to express itself. Mm -hmm. And so finding the time in our lives to just be, to be who we are, to come back to that place within that lights us up. Mm -hmm. And so it looks different for everybody. It truly does. But, you know, we have to, sometimes we have to go through several different modalities in order to discover what works for us but there is something out there for everybody. I appreciate that so much and agree with it. I was speaking with a client yesterday, brought her through a breathwork session, and then we were doing our regular coaching. And um, she was experiencing the, the feeling of uh, struggling to rest in her identity. She identifies as a, a follower of Christ and she was really struggling with that identification and saying like, I feel like, you know, God doesn't hear me and I feel like I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy. And one of the things that I offered her was I said, listen, when we have a faith alignment that tells us that there's a hierarchy and that tells us that the answers are outside of ourselves and that they come through this patriarchal line. And I love Jesus. So like, I, yeah. you know, I, I'm not criticizing it, but mm -hmm. there's something missing. And what's missing is the acknowledgement that there's divinity within and what's missing is embodiment. And, and really, I think for women, especially we have to find God in our bodies. Yes. Like, and it comes through movement. It comes through breath. It comes through sex. It comes through song, right? Like using this instrument, this vessel that we have, we, how could we access the divine outside of ourselves when, when we're created of the yeah. same, um, energy of all creation. So like we're, we're looking for something out there that's, that's in here. Right. And for women, I mean, for everyone, it's not just for women, but I think for women, because we're conditioned into your body, shameful, your, your, your lust is shameful. You shouldn't, um, you know, you're, you need to hide your, your body, hide your breasts, hide your, it's all like, yeah, we, we grow up becoming more and more and more disconnected. Right. And then if we're, if we're lucky, if we're blessed enough, we have something that shakes us and says, Hey, <laughs> Hey, you got to go back in. Right. Yeah. And it's like, then there's this whole journey of, of going back in. And I, there's not a single woman I know on the path of awakening who hasn't come to this realization that, that God is in her and yeah. you know, whatever words you want to use for that. So I'm so thankful to hear you say that kind of, that's the most, that's the most powerful aspect of this. 
Um, so I would love to know while you were on this journey, were there any, um, were there any books that helped you? If, if somebody's like, I, I need, I mean, first of all, you can connect with Amanda online. Um, we're going to put her website and her Instagram in the show notes. If you're like, I can't wait, I need to follow her right now. <laughs> Go to Instagram and follow amanda.joy.77. You can find her on the web, amandajoy.ca. So you can go connect with her for one-on-one coaching uh, or to find out how to attend one of her retreats. If they're uh, just like, I got to go to Amazon and get a book right now, is there something you can recommend in terms of reading one or two books that you feel like were really helpful for you in, in starting to understand how to heal your trauma more? Right. So I'm a book junkie. <laughs> So um, I always come back like really to the root because at the beginning when I was torn and stripped right down to nothing, I needed to start from a foundation fresh. And so in that space, I, I found the book. I don't remember how it came to my life, but the four agreements. Mm -hmm. And I still have come back to that book several times throughout my journey. And it's one of those books that you can revisit time and time and time again. Mm -hmm. And it will bring you a new message depending on where you're at in your life, where your perspective, excuse me, perspective is, you know, what's unfolding for you. And it can open it up into different layers. Mm -hmm. um, honestly, off the top of my head, I, I can't really think of any right now. There's so many because you can get into the books on trauma. Like you said, the body keeps the score. However, when I was in the thick of my trauma, I couldn't comprehend my brain was literally on pause and I couldn't absorb any information that was coming to me. I needed stuff that was very clear, very simple, you know, and not anything heavy or um, deep. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you shared with me, and thank you for those recommendations, and we've linked them in the show notes if you want to go check them out. I'm also a huge fan of, of uh, the four agreements, and I think that Toltec wisdom is really powerful stuff. But when we were talking about what we were going to title this episode and, you know, we knew what we were going to talk about. Um, but one of the things that you said that is, is still in your healing process is shame. Mm -hmm. Right. And I touched on this earlier when I said that shame is, is important in life because it's how we teach humans to fit into the fabric of society, right? So we use healthy shame, um, which is possible to teach children, hey, it's not okay to poop on the living room floor. <laughs> you know, don't do that, right? And it's, it's, a, it's a, I, don't, I don't even really like to use the word shame around it because we have so much toxic shame that we don't really understand how, you know, it can be used. Um, you use it with your dog, right? Like when your dog is like being really bad, you're like, you're a bad dog. Don't do that. That's shame. But it's, yeah. we use it to promote social cohesion. We use it to help people figure out how we're supposed to be in relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. But shame becomes toxic. Like I said earlier, when it's not behavioral criticism, it's not, there was this thing that happened that I could have done differently or you know, I chose to speak in a way that isn't in alignment with who I really am in that situation. But instead we say, I'm a bad wife. I'm a bad mother. I'm a terrible human being. Um, I don't deserve my grief. I don't deserve to live. So shame has been, it sounds like one of the strongest shackles that's been part of this, um, this experience of, 
of releasing this bondage in your life. So where are you now with, because is it okay if we tell people like, this has been nine years and you're just starting to share the story publicly. And this Mm -hmm. is the first podcast that you've done. Yeah. I did one more, a brief podcast, but this is more in depth. Yeah, for sure. So Mm -hmm. how, how are you healing the shame? And is this, is talking about it part of it? Uh, 100% giving myself permission and um, to throw in a little, um, whatever it's called for you, but um, coming and working directly with you in the group coaching program and, and being allowed to be seen for who I am outside of the labels that I had placed upon myself. So I was my worst enemy. And I think that that is the thing about shame is that we do that to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we, we wouldn't treat another human being the way that we speak to ourselves when it comes to shame. But for some reason, it's so easy to place that upon ourselves and to wear it. And so once I started to be given a space of permission to be seen, and to be understood outside of who I thought people were seeing me as, because I had, I had placed this um, bubble around myself that every single person that met my eyes knew who I was, and that I was that woman who a child drowned in my care, and I had been charged. Um, mm-hmm. You will notice that I go by Amanda Joy. That is my given first and middle name. Mm-hmm. I dropped my last name because of the slander through, so, through media and through social media, people finding me and sending me hate. And so I chose to stand in who I am and not who the world perceives me to be or who I thought the world was seeing me. Um, so now, yeah, it's the power of knowing th- that this is my story. He was not my child, but I loved him and I still love him. Mm-hmm. And I still hold a space of love for all who were affected by this tragedy but to know that my life's altered and one of the greatest things from this story is I don't wish someone to have to go through something so horrific Mm -hmm. but what I do wish is that every human being could be stripped raw of every belief of every understanding of life in order to build back up into the version that they were meant to come here to be because out of the worst most awful things, the most beautiful births can happen. And that is my vision now to share with everybody else is just to know that, yes, this happened, but this is where I choose to live. And this is where I, you know, where I can help you get to. I think we have to close with that. I think that's just, I think that's just (laughs) what it is. I want to thank you for allowing yourself to be witnessed. Because I think allowing yourself to be witnessed in dialogue like this is what we are all aching for, is to be seen and heard and known and loved in the fullness of who we are, which is bringing, bringing all of it. Mm -hmm. And so you just gave us the most eloquent words that I could ask for, but if when you're speaking to, um, to somebody who is in their own journey of, of navigating 
their dark night of the soul. If you just had to give them a few words of hope or encouragement to carry on, what would you say? The first thing that comes to my heart is find that piece of yourself that, that you can connect to and love entirely. And maybe it's the smallest, tiniest morsel, or maybe it's the fact that somebody else can still love you and go there and rest in that space and ask that vibration to come and surround you and support you and, and continue to come back to that, to know that, that there is love in every fiber of your being and that will guide you there. You just have to find that one minuscule piece. Okay. I'll look for it. <laughs> I got a lot of big pieces. Thankfully I'm, yeah. I'm surrounded by beautiful uh, women like you who help me handle mm -hmm. my guilt and shame and grief. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for today. This has been yeah. such a privilege and an honor to just witness you. And, um, and like I said, in the very beginning, you know, you had to walk through the fire to become this wounded healer, but this is what your soul chose to do in this life. And may I say you are doing it with incredible grace and dignity and the world is better for it. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me on another episode of Totally Stoked Podcast. If you love this episode, if it impacted you in some way, please grab a screenshot and share it right now to Instagram stories, tag Stoked Yogi, hashtag Totally Stoked Podcast. Each week, we'll grab one listener who shared and send you some Stoked Yogi swag. Also, if you love the show, please subscribe, share it with a friend, or head over to iTunes right now and leave us an honest review. Your support and feedback make this show possible. If you have ideas about how we can improve, please send them to podcast at stokedyogi.com. Until next time, you guys, keep showing up, loving people, telling the truth, and remember, keep living your life totally stoked.